Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode 46. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $356, and my all-time favorite LTB coins are trading at .000162 US dollars. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me today as I podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee, with my trusty dog, Maxwell, by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. (laughs) We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love talking about Bitcoins and sharing what we learn with you, the listener. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. On today's show, and thanks to one of our loyal listeners, I was able to finally meet up with Elizabeth Rossiello. Elizabeth is an American living and working in Kenya. She has worked as a microfinance analyst and investment associate since 2009. She is an expert in East African financial product development, and she is the CEO and co-founder of BitPesa. BitPesa is the next logical step after M-Pesa. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then stay tuned to this episode of Bitcoins and Gravy, where you will learn all about BitPesa and how it is changing Kenya as we know it using Bitcoin. All right, today on the show, I am thrilled to welcome Elizabeth Rossiello, the CEO and co-founder of BitPesa. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, this is great. So I am talking to Elizabeth, who is in Kenya right now. It is 9 a.m. here in Nashville and 5 p.m. there in Kenya. And I'll read a little something about Elizabeth to begin with uh, from the website, from her website. Elizabeth has lived and worked in Kenya as a microfinance analyst and investment associate since 2009. She is an expert in East African financial product development and establishing best practices in risk governance and IT for local banks. Prior to her work in East Africa, Elizabeth was an analyst at Credit Suisse. How would I say that? Credit Suisse? Credit Suisse, exactement. In Zurich, <laughs> and a Robert Bosch Fellow in Frankfurt. She has a master's in international finance from Columbia University's SIPA School, and she speaks four languages. Wow. Bonjour. Buenos dias. Guten Tag. I don't know. <laughs> Elizabeth. Bonjour. Oh, buongiorno. (laughs) Wow, this is impressive. And I'm so happy to finally have you on the show because I know that I'm not the only one. I know that I have many, many listeners who are very interested in BitPesa. I'll put the ball in your court. You can tell me about yourself and your team, or you can begin by giving us a history of M-Pesa, BitPesa. Where do you think is the best place to begin? Sure. Well, we're celebrating our one-year birthday this month, this week almost. So let's start talking about um, BitPesa which is an exciting project, now business, that's been happening here in Kenya and is soon to be spreading across the region. So we basically make a market for Bitcoin to local African fiat, and we also do last mile delivery. Now, what does that mean? Let's take something everybody in the Bitcoin world can relate to, which is something like a Coinbase, exchange. Mm-hmm. When you take money out of Coinbase and you withdraw it, it goes through the US ACH system to your bank and takes two to four days, usually four days. 
But in a country where people don't always like to use retail banks for many reasons, we can actually withdraw the money instantly and put it on your mobile money wallet. Now, if you want it in a bank account, we can do that too. But much cooler is an instant withdrawal straight to your phone, which you then can use to pay for things, um, anything really, people or businesses or all sorts of stuff. So the first thing that we do is we make a market for local fiat. And the second thing we do is allow instant withdrawal once you've sold your Bitcoin to us for local fiat onto your mobile phone. In essence, people are calling this a remittance product, but we see it more like a payment product. Okay. So any kind of payment or transfer you need to make to the region, you can do it through us because you don't have to have the counterparty um, worry about taking the Bitcoin and then exchanging it. You exchange it for them and deliver it where they need it. Okay, so you see it more like a payment product than a remittance product. How does this relate to M-Pesa? And when we're talking about phones, are we talking about any phone, a smartphone, or a dumb phone? Any type of phone. It works with the SIM card. So basically, lots of African telcos and a few other markets in the world, like the Philippines, have mastered what we call mobile money. That means there's an application, be it on your SIM toolkit or through USSD, which allows anybody who buys a SIM card and submits their passport for registration to suddenly have access to that SIM card as an account. Any person can go to an agent or a kiosk, and there's thousands of them across the, the continent. And you basically go to this kiosk, and you give them cash, and they tap up your phone. So instead of paying for airtime, you actually put a one-to-one -one equivalent of whatever your local fiat is onto your phone and carry that around. It's the, truly the first digital currency. Okay. And then you can cash it out at an agent or even to a bank. Okay, so if I'm living in Kenya, I can take my dumb phone, let's say, or my smartphone, right? And I can take it to one of these kiosks, which you said they're all over. There are thousands of them. And I can have money or credit loaded up onto my phone. Is that right? Right. And it's not airtime credit because that can only be used to speak on the phone and or buy data bundles. It's literally a one-to-one -one with the Kenyan shilling. Mm -hmm. So that means it's actually a digital version of the e-money as we call it here. Mm -hmm. And that e-money can then be sent to anybody else with the same telco and it happens to be a bit of a monopoly here. So everybody has the same telco. And then that other person can send it further, make a payment to a business okay. or withdraw it to cash. So in essence, it's like the entire country using the same bank and never withdrawing their money, just doing intra-bank transfers. And when they want to withdraw the money, it, it's very easy. Okay, and is this through a single bank? Basically, it's hard to explain if you're not down here, but tens of thousands of corner stores are agents. That means when I look out the window of my office, I can see four different M-Pesa signs from where I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. And that's the same if I'm in urban Nairobi, way out in Kakamega, or up north in um, Malindi on the coast. But what I mean, is it going through, is it being processed by a single bank? Oh, yeah. Well, the telco holds a huge float at one bank. I think they now have diversified it to two banks. Okay. But, yeah. But, um, so that's the rails of mobile money. And it works in many different countries around the world. Vodafone has launched M-Pesa in many different countries. They're starting Romania now. Um, also, MTN is another large telco in Africa. Tigo Cash, Zane, Airtel. There's a lot of different companies that are entering the space. Um, so that's just kind of a reality of what we live with. We were talking to somebody in China and asking them how you withdraw from a Bitcoin exchange there. And they said, oh, just a boring old bank account. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and wow, for totally. us, you can withdraw to mobile money 
which in essence turns into cash in any corner store, or you can go into a bank account. In other places around the world, you have like cash kiosks through ATMs or things like that. I guess in Dubai, they're proposing to do all these outlets to kind of go straight to an ATM kind of uh, robotic kind of kiosk. I see. But I guess every region has a different version of how you withdraw money. So even though you're in some of the most what we call developing parts of the world, the financial system has some cool aspects that are much more developed back home. I see. Okay, so for my listeners who have never even heard of BitPesa or M-Pesa and they're listening to this and they're thinking, I'm lost. I have no idea what this woman is talking about. Can you give us a little bit of a short background in how M-Pesa came to be? You would think that something like this using mobile money would have been developed in Eastern Europe or would have been developed in Los Angeles or New York or something, but I guess it started out in Kenya because they had a strong need. Is that right? Right. So why did mobile money develop and how come it became such a huge thing? is a very long story, and I guess lots of people have written their PhDs on this kind of thing. But in a very simplistic way, um, in some markets, in some regions, where you never had a certain type of infrastructure, you can kind of jump ahead. So I like to talk about it when I think about my life in Germany. I lived and worked in Germany, speaking Europe for a few years. And the banks there are very organized. They've all been automated and computerized for decades. Mm -hmm. That means back in the 70s and the 80s, they were had these really clunky computer systems. Now, when it comes time to upgrade 10, 20 years later, they've actually got to migrate from their old systems to the new systems. But in a country like Kenya, nothing was ever automated, so they can kind of hop right to a newer system. So some of the banks have some pretty cool kind of automated systems. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, there was never telephone lines, like landline telephones in a large part of the country. So some people's first interaction with telephone was straight to the mobile phone. So kind of skip hopped over an older technology straight to a new technology. So there wasn't really a large branch network for retail banks across the country that was affordable for everyone. It'd almost be like if there was just Goldman Sachs in America, not everybody could use it. So what do people do? They just have a cash economy. But cash is annoying. People want a better solution. Credit cards are slow to come to this region, but everybody had a phone. So why not make money over your phone using SIM cards? And people were using that using airtime. So they were using airtime as kind of like a, a cowrie shell, a means of trading. So for a time, airtime was their actual currency. So they would go into a market and they would realize, wow, I don't have enough money to buy what I need. And they would maybe turn to the person next to them and say, hey, do you want to buy some airtime credit from me? And the person might say, sure, here are a few shillings for that, right? Exactly. And that's still quite prevalent in a lot of parts of Africa, and I'm sure other parts of the world. I am there in Kenya, and I am trading some airtime directly for shillings. Can I do that without involving some sort of central bank or some sort of bank without anybody knowing it? Can I do that anonymously from person to person? I mean, you can do whatever you want from person to person. In a park, you can trade your knapsack for your sneakers, right? So, I mean, right. if you're going to have a huge banner in a corner store and ads on TV, you might attract attention, but... Pretty much anything can be done informally, right? Right. I guess what I'm getting at, you know, some of my listeners, they are really keen on anonymity and they want everything to be anonymous. They want everything to be decentralized. They don't like for banks and central authorities to be meddling. And that's just half of my listeners, I would say. The other half, they're happy to have things centralized. They're happy to have central authorities, to have banks, to work with banks. So it's really kind of a split in the Bitcoin community. Airtime is just a casual trade. There was no formalized airtime trade. 
It just was happening in some places where there wasn't another option. Right. Um, now, when mobile money came in, that all transfers over the telecom network. So that's completely owned by whatever telecom is using it. Mm -hmm. So it is not decentralized in any way. Every transaction goes through a centralized server owned mm -hmm. by the telco, and the float is held in a bank account owned by the telco. So definitely not super decentralized. Right. It's almost as if one bank, again, one bank serving everybody. However, this bank suddenly is in everybody's hand who has a mobile phone. I see. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. You know, for some people, that sounds like magic. Wow, everybody can walk around with their phone, and that becomes their bank, and it also becomes their checkbook, and it also becomes their credit and debit card. That's a great thing. And then, of course, for other people, they're saying, wow, but if there's a central bank or whatever central authority that has my information and that sees every transaction that I do, I think the biggest fear for some people is the fees that are charged. And obviously there's some fees that are charged. We can talk about that in a minute. But I guess the fear is if there's one central authority over time, those fees could go up and up and up as we've always seen. You know, for instance, my property taxes just went up so that my mortgage, I just got my mortgage statement. I'm paying $200 now more per month just because my property taxes went up. Well, I can cope with that. I'm not happy about it. But if I were a, let's say, 70-year-old woman or my mother's age, 76 on a fixed income, and all of a sudden I'm just barely making it, my mortgage payment goes up $200 a month, all of a sudden, hey, I've got to sell the house or I've got to readjust my entire financial life because of this. Sure. So well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not representing Empasa. I don't work for Empasa. I don't work for Vodafone or Safaricom or any of the telcos. So I'm just telling you like it is. And Basically, it grew so big because there were no options. I see. So, and in some countries, there's more competition than in others. And I don't, I'm, don't think I'm really positioned to speak to that. I mean, we're very happy with the services we get here because we don't have other options, and it's working for us. Right, right. There's definitely been some legal cases on whether competition is an issue, and there's been some situations on that, but that's probably not something I'm best to speak on. <laughs> I see. Is there any competition there? Because, you know, obviously here in the States, we would talk about, well, we want to avoid monopolies, which <laughs> they say that, and yet the game Monopoly is so popular and, and people are constantly right. trying to John, monopolize I don't things. I talking about that. I mean, I would rather not go on on that um, route and go deep down to what, what the telcos are doing. I mean, w we use the telco very strongly and we're happy with the service they provide. And Right. Can we talk at all about competition? Is there some competition? Um, for Bipesa or M-Pesa? Uh, for M-Pesa. Um, in certain markets. And you've been there how long in, in Kenya? I've lived here five and a half years. So I moved here in 2009. So let's talk a little bit about Kenya and about what you love about Kenya. Right. So, I mean, what I love about Kenya is the dichotomy of life here. I mean, you see things that are very different than back in the States or Europe where I've lived. Um, I've lived in a bunch of countries, but it's very different here in Kenya for a lot of reasons. One is that um, it's coming from a very undeveloped state, yet it's growing in a pace that I've never seen before. So I've never really lived in a place that's booming as quickly as Kenya is, in Nairobi particularly. I mean, there are cranes all over the city. Um, the, the, well, the rising class of wealthy people, the diaspora returning home with degrees much more prestigious than mine. I mean, the amount of, the amount of businesses growing. It was just listed as one of the best places to create a startup. And I think that's true in some ways and maybe false in others. But um, just mm -hmm. an exciting place to be if you, if you can kind of deal with the stuff that's not so growing and not so developed, which is, you know, the, the licensing and the processes and finding talent and getting things done, um, the security. <laughs> Definitely a, diff a different place to operate. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity here if you know how to operate in the space. 
I see. And how about the people of Kenya? Nice people? Yeah, of course. I always say that <laughs> coming from Switzerland, not to offend any of my Swiss friends, I feel more at home here than I did there. I mean, people are very um, much like in New York City, talking to you on the street and smiling and happy and uh, just very social people, which is cool. Wow. Uh, not so much in German-speaking Europe, slightly different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I think of German-speaking Europe, when I think of Switzerland, I think of it's very cold, cold, a cold people. And then when I think of Kenya, of course, I think of warmth, and I think of a very warm people. <laughs> yeah, it's been cool being part of this mobile mobile money movement because when I got here in 2009, uh, mobile money was just becoming a thing, and it was just gaining adoption. And then, of course, we saw the supersonic spike of adoption and that kind of grew hand in hand with increased access to finance, which is very cool. And the banks that I was rating who had very high operating expenses were suddenly able to lower them with this new technology. And it's not perfect and it's evolving and there's issues, but it's pretty awesome, um, the capability of what it can do. So what are the things that people could do using BitPesa from the United States to Kenya or from Kenya to the United States? Is there a flow that way at all? Yeah, I mean, we don't have our license yet in the U.S., um, so we do block USIP addresses. But for instance, the large diaspora in the U.K. and Europe, who are our customers, including around the world, and basically you would go online and you would enter your recipient's name in Kenya and put in their phone number, and that's it. You pay us in Bitcoin, and we send Kenyan shillings straight to their phone within 10 minutes, sometimes even quicker. Now, what fee do you charge? We charge a total fee of 3%, which is about 6% less than the, the average for the country for international transfers. Okay. So that's cool. Of course, the upside is that, I mean, up or downside is that people have to know and buy Bitcoin. Right. So we still have trouble getting our customers to find Bitcoin to buy cheaply. So for anybody out there who operates an ATM or an exchange and has margins higher than 2 3%, you should be ashamed of yourself, one. <laughs> Two, um, you're not helping things. Because <laughs> we have customers like really looking to buy. I mean, we're willing to lower our costs um, to move money here. Um, but nobody else seems to be wanting to come down low enough. I mean, we're looking to get the total cost purchase of Bitcoin and movement over to be about 4 or 5% absolute max. I see. Now, what are the big companies charging to get money, let's say, from the U.S. into Kenya? What is a remittance fee for me wanting to send money to Kenya, for instance, from the U.S. by way of Western Union or whatever? Sure. I mean, it depends on the amount and the method. So if you want to de deliver the next day or instantly or in two days, um, whether you want to deliver to your phone or your bank account, it's ranging anywhere from 7 to 12%. I see. Um, sometimes the delays is not so convenient. And then, of course, you know, your counterparty has to be near a Western Union or you need to be able to go into a Western Union um, unless you've registered uh, and copied your passport, et cetera, online with them personally. Um, with bank transfers, it's even more. Sometimes people wait up to a week. There's not a lot of transparency mm -hmm. and the rates can be even way higher. I see. Um, there's not a lot of security in that. Another thing is that, um, you know, since it's so cheap for us, it's quite easy to put in multiple payments. So you can pay 10 people in 10 minutes. Oh, wow, that's handy. Yeah, and then, of course, we're doing some really cool products that will be launching in December. We basically only had our beta launch. Um, so if you visit our site, um, you'll see that it's pretty flat and just our basic beta. But we have a really cool team that's come on board now and some really awesome guys. Will Bins has joined us. Mawuli Kofia Joe has joined us. Baba Man is leading our dev team. Um, so all of those guys are, are awesome interns, um, Khalil Mongalji. So we're basically 
revving up and doing some really cool stuff that hopefully will come out before Christmas. Okay, that's great. And how many people on your team, how many people make up BitPesa in total? We've got about nine full-time. Okay. And then about five consultants that come in for kind of sales and design and sometimes consulting. So we're about 15 in the family. Okay, wow, that's a that's a small company, but that's a good size, right? Yeah, I mean, we've been racing without shoes for a year. Wow. So just really keeping our head down, trying to talk too much, just getting things done. And, and we're just excited to show our customers things that they need and that they're looking for. So we're just excited to really have a user-based approach. So most of your business right now is not remittances. Well, it is. I mean, it depends on how you define remittances. I mean, the word remittances comes a little loaded about what remittances are. You know, people get this idea that it's, you know, an impoverished woman sending home a handful of pennies. But remittances can really be anything. They can be money coming home from a college grad or mm -hmm. going to a college grad. You know, a young professional sending it home to another young professional. Mm -hmm. um, people sending it to themselves. Uh, payments for small businesses or import-export. So we really look at it as a wider spectrum. But that's, I guess, part of what it is to know who our customers are. We kind of see it as more than just remittance. I see. Okay. So, you know, I'm wondering, for someone there in Kenya who, let's say, has been involved in tech for a number of years and was, let's say, one of the early adopters of Bitcoin, let's say they've been mining Bitcoin and they want to cash out some of it. Let's say they want to sell 10 Bitcoins or they want to sell 20 Bitcoins. Is that an easy thing to do to sell those and get shillings or get yeah, dollars? Yeah, that's exactly what we do. In fact, we have a couple of our very great users. I don't want to shout them out because they love their anonymity. <laughs> <laughs> who are mining Bitcoin or buying Bitcoin early days. So whenever they want to cash out, they simply pop onto our website, they type in the amount they want to send themselves, and they cash out within a couple minutes. And there you go. So they're cashing out through BitPesa. Exactly. So, I mean, whether you are somebody who wants to send money to a Kenyan and you're physically in Moscow, or you're physically in Nairobi, or you're at the airport outside of Nairobi, you can send money to yourself or to a friend or a business, whoever you need to. Um, it doesn't matter where you are located. All we do is send money to any Kenyan phone. So someone could cash out their Bitcoin, let's say, there in Kenya. How do they actually get cash in their hands if they want to have actual shillings in their hand? Sure. So money on your mobile phone is pretty much as good as cash. Here in Kenya, at least, I pay for a single tomato at like a kiosk or like a local shop. And then I pay for my kids' school fees. I pay for my rent. I can pay for a hotel room, an airplane ticket, anything with mobile money. So I really actually get cash. But if I wanted to, I go to the tens of thousands of agents across the country, all the major shops, supermarkets, etc., every informal shop. I just waltz up, I show my ID, they check the ID against what they have registered, and they send me, they um, deduct from my online wallet and my mobile wallet and just hand me the cash. I see. Wow. That's easy. Yeah, super easy. I mean, we had people come down here to visit us and they were like aghast at how slick it was. <laughs> They're like, couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's interesting that you said that you rarely use cash. You rarely have to no, actually never. have shillings in your hand, right? No, it's a joke actually amongst um, our team because I can't buy small candies. I don't ever have cents. So I'm always paying for everything in, in M-Pesa. In so, well. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, a lot of the businesses here use this awesome company called Copa Copo, which is developed point of sale numbers so that merchants give you like a, a business bill instead of a telephone number and you pay that. So there's just some really cool companies down here doing great things on M-Pesa and other mobile money um, platforms. Well, that's really neat. Not to say that life is easy or doing business here is a walk in the park. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> but uh, if you can get it done and you have the motivation and you want to 
stay lean and hungry, there's, um, there's a lot of cool stuff happening down here. Well, that's neat. So, okay, it sounds like, in a sense, M-Pesa can act in the same way that, like, let's say, Coinbase, if you're familiar with Coinbase here in the U.S. In other words, if I have some Bitcoin and I want to cash out, I can go through Coinbase and basically, once I sell it on Coinbase, the money will go into my bank account and within a number of days, I can have that money in my bank account. Obviously, we don't have the same M-Pesa money on our phones here. All you guys have is ACH, which is the switch to send it to a bank. So we have our ACH is a bank switch, but we also have mobile money switches. So you can send it to any bank and any phone. I see. So if somebody has Bitcoin in Kenya and they want to get shillings in hand, let's say for whatever reason, it sounds like their only option right now is to go through BitPesa or to find somebody on the street who wants to just do an exchange. Would they do that phone to phone or hand to hand? They could have a paper wallet. Either. And I mean, we, have, we started the Bitcoin meetups here in Kenya back in January, February, and it's grown to like a quite a big group. I think we have about 100 registered, about 30, 40 people show up regularly. Oh, wow. And there's a little, trading, a little trading happening at the start of every meeting um, in the corner <laughs> by the beers. So, I mean, that happens. But, I mean, we have like 99.999% of the liquidity in the market um, for sure. I see. So, I mean, there are people that still want to get in, you know, obviously your company is very important in Kenya, and I don't mean to say anything against your company at all, but I'm just, again, I have to speak for those people who want, you know, 100% anonymity and who don't want to pay any fees. Some people think, gosh darn it, I want to sell my Bitcoins or I want to send my Bitcoins out of Kenya or into Kenya, and I don't want to pay any fees. I want to pay zero, right? Yeah, well, if you don't want to pay fees, then you just take your Bitcoin and you send it to any Bitcoin phone around the world, and then you don't pay anything to us. I mean, Bitcoin to Bitcoin is basically a minor fee. That's not our business. So you can send your Bitcoin anywhere you want. But when you want to cash Bitcoin out, just like every other exchange on the planet, it costs money because it's a foreign exchange situation. And to put the money on a mobile phone, it costs more. Now, if you're sending in bulk, if you're putting into a bank, those all have lower fees. But essentially, we're beating the FX brokers, we're beating the banks, we're beating the money transfer networks. So you know, we're undercutting them by a ton. So there is really no place on the planet you're going to get a true exchange rate, whatever that really means. Right. Unless your sister or brother gives it to you and they're your favorite sister and brother. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because even buying individual to individual, people are still going to charge a premium. They're still going to charge yeah, something to do that. Yeah, you pick out local Bitcoins is bananas. A lot of the markets we go to, we tell our customers, oh, try to buy it on local Bitcoins. And they're like, whoa, the fees are higher than Western Union. So... <laughs> specifically in the UK. So we had a lot of problems there. Yeah, I've heard stories of uh, local Bitcoin where people will buy Bitcoins and pay a 50% premium, which, you know, is pretty crazy. You've got to be pretty desperate to own Bitcoins to pay 50% more than the market value at that given time. You know, I love what you guys are doing, and it sounds to me like this is helping a lot of people. I really love to hear about this. You know, someone would ask maybe, hey, how do we know that you're not going to get so big so that you're going to be the one 10 years from now who's charging these, you know, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 percent? How can you guarantee your customers that you're going to keep your prices low and be able to beat out the, you know, I, I hesitate to call it competition because it's not really, but, you know, be able to always offer a really good low interest rate for people, something that's fair. Yeah, I mean, well, we have competition. I mean, the reason we're in this market and the reason our prices are so low is because we have a lot of competition. We're competing with the banks, we're competing with the money transfer, we're competing with the informal sector, 
We're competing with people who carry cash in their suitcases on the airplane. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've got to be competitive. This is, you know, we're not the only ones on the planet doing this business. It's a ancient model. <laughs> right. So I mean, we just plan to be the lowest cost. That's our business model. I see. And do you see anybody creeping up from the left or the right or behind you as far as competition? Not in East Africa, for sure. I mean, um, we've definitely seen some of the bigger guys slash their rates, but I think this is a gigantic market and it's been underserved for a long time. So there's room for a bunch of people and I guess it's whoever goes the distance. Right. You know, that's pretty neat for you to say you've seen some of the bigger players slash their rates. I mean, that means that's that's a real solid indication that you are, you know, doing something good in my opinion, right? If we can influence one of the big boys to lower their rates, wow, that's a great thing. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm not in as a complete philanthropist, <laughs> but I mean, I think that's pretty awesome that a company like us a year in even earlier, a few months, and we saw that happening. So that's kind of the power of Bitcoin open source software. Right. That, you know, from your couch with your friends and a team of diehards, you can pretty much create a business model that competes with these huge companies. It's almost like Netflix taking down Blockbuster. <laughs> you know, these guys have not evolved. And the lobbies that keep them in the top tier, um, you know, that kind of structure doesn't work anymore when you have technology. That's really true. And you know, the only thing I don't like about that analogy is I miss going into those blockbuster stores, <laughs> wandering through the aisles, looking at the, oh man, I miss that. <laughs> I was just in an elevator with three people wearing khakis and blue shirts and I made a blockbuster employee joke and nobody got it. <laughs> oh no. Oh, that, that's hilarious. So, hey, before we end, I have to ask you, how did you get from Switzerland and how did you get from being an analysts working in Switzerland, one of the wealthiest countries in the world. I mean, you know, Switzerland's a weird thing, Swiss bank accounts and all this other stuff. How did you get from being an analyst in a Swiss bank to being involved in Bitcoin and now starting the BitPesa? How did that transition happen? Well, you know, earlier on I had worked in government and when I went to my grad school, it was really a school for international affairs with a mind towards development whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And um, I went into finance and straight investment banking to pay back my loans. And um, like literally the month the loans were paid, we realized we didn't really want to be living in a place where everybody was comparing what kind of watch they had. <laughs> uh -huh. Because you know, your, your spirit and your motivation and your ambition start to die a bit. So we looked for jobs in growing markets. I mean, rather than saying emerging markets, I like to say booming markets. Mm -hmm. um, so I applied for jobs in Singapore and Manila. And I actually got an offer for Nairobi. So we just kind of came down here. And the company I was working for, Planet Rating, is an awesome company, um, very small, and just does a lot of cool stuff, like providing kind of standards and best practice in an industry that was growing and quite young. So I got in early, and I got to learn a lot about a new emerging sector. Um, so that's kind of how I came down here. I never in a million years thought I'd live here, but I love it. My family's here now, and um, yeah, I've learned a ton these last few years. So you moved to Nairobi for a job, and then you started obviously learning about M-Pesa. And how did you decide to start BitPesa? Is this your brainchild? Well, um, I've been working with Money for a long time, digital currencies, regulation on that, increasing financial access, kind of seeing how that was all evolving. And I definitely kept coming up against the problem of how do you lower operational expenses in places of low population density and in places where you have banking monopolies and things like that. How do you kind of get around that? What's the third way? And someone that I had worked with previously who had started his own microfinance bank running purely on mobile money, Duncan Goldie Scott, uh, got together with him and he was like, let me tell you about Bitcoin. So he kind of introduced me to Bitcoin 
and the idea that actually we should link Bitcoin to mobile money. And he kind of was like, if you can figure out a way for this to work as a product, I'll seed you. So that happened exactly a year ago and kind of had the prototype up and going two months later. And yeah, it's just been a whirlwind, just a lot of energy in the Bitcoin um, environment, a lot of people reaching out to me, got a lot of help. It's been so great. I mean, early days, I had a ton of press and everybody um, kind of reached their hand out across Skype and uh, helped with information and things like that. And then I had some awesome devs like Bob Aman and Will Bins kind of along the way just join the team and say, you know, we want to be part of this and we want to, you know, work in a region where we might not have worked or, you know, earn a salary we might not have earned, just mm -hmm. kind of see this thing grow. So I don't think that would have happened in every sector. I think that's something special about Bitcoiners. So that's been really cool and helped us move a lot faster than we might have maybe if we had been doing something else. <laughs> well, no, I agree. Yeah, the Bitcoin folks are amazing folks and people who are not involved in Bitcoin who stand on the outside. I wish I could tell all of them, hey, just take a peek inside and look at the people because, you know, you do have philanthropists. You do have people that really care about lowering interest rates, lowering fees, helping out with nonprofits. It's an amazing group of people, of course, not across the board because there's a certain faction within the Bitcoin sphere of, um, you know, people who are really just money driven. And, and you're always going to find that. But uh, it's great to talk with someone like you who is doing something in a developing or what did you say? You didn't say developing country. You said growing, fast growing, fast growing, booming. I think you said. Yeah, booming country. <laughs> in a booming and I just want to say something on that, John. I mean, we are definitely a for profit company. We're, sure. you know, we're not an NGO. We're right. looking to kind of in a capital market, introduce competition where there was little, reduce costs, you know, bring costs down through kind of a price war. That's kind of our our goal. And um, of course, living here, you do always have a mind to, you know, how you give back to your community. And we raced to put out this donation product. And we selected three NGOs, three charities who we know personally. One, our friends of over five years run that company. The other ones we visited. The other one teaches Python to like kids in a slum and helps them get back integrated in school. And John, nobody has donated. <laughs> We've had $110 donated in over a month live, and 60 of that is from me myself. So I want to just give wow. a shout out to the whole Bitcoin community who's listening in, who's telling, you know, who goes on Reddit and clamors about how they want to donate and they want like a direct donation with no fees, no middlemen. Here you go. There's no fees. Um, we move the money at cost, which is less than 1%. Okay. And we vetted these organizations. The money goes straight into really cool projects. These are organizations with almost no overhead. Two are run by volunteers, and one is run by the mother of the children themselves, Hashima. Wow. So I just want to give a, a big shout out to all your listeners and tell them to go on, on thepasta.co and go to our donations page and show these guys some love. One is called Tuna Panda, and they rehabilitate students who have dropped out of school and live in Kibera, the largest slum in, in Nairobi, and they teach them um, video making skills, they teach them Python, they teach them how to like all sorts of IT skills, it's really cool. The second one is called Hashima, and for disabled children who would have otherwise been ignored or even abandoned in society, they bring them in and they employ the mothers and teach them how to do rehabilitative care, so like massage and um, uh, PT and things like that, and then give them kind of a way to make money in some side crafts organizations. It's an awesome institution. Mm. And then the third one is called Rock, which is reaching out with caring, compassion, and Kibera. And that one deals again with school dropouts, but all the way from age like five. And 
it's a tutoring school. So our friends have rented totally at their own cost a building in Cabero. And they've brought in through all through donations, a total library, computers. They've got math tutors, science tutors. They help the kids get back to school. They pay school fees. They outfit them with backpacks. Hmm. I mean, my friends are constantly like begging on Facebook that anybody coming in from the States brings backpacks full of supplies with them. It's been really cool to see this last one rock grow. It's totally been organic through a group of friends and colleagues and um, just volunteering their time every weekend and helping these kids. And it's pretty amazing how many kids now they're sponsoring. So all three are just very worthy institutions. And like I said, we only had $100 come in over the whole month. So we built the product the Bitcoin community said they wanted. So here's your chance. Go ahead, donate. Okay, so for, <laughs> so for listeners who want to donate to worthy causes, these are three worthy causes that they can find out about by going to bitpesa.co. Is that right? Exactly. And we do block American IP addresses. You'd have to live abroad. <laughs> Let's say that. And I you see. don't require a passport or any kind of KYC information. It's totally anonymous. There's no kind of login or sign up. You just go ahead and click donate and a pops a QR code. So I just said that Americans, you can donate if you can get around the IP block. And you know, the good thing, it sounds like one good thing about these three charities that you're supporting is that it sounds to me like the administration is really small. So your donations are not going to be going to administrative fees as is so common here in the States and other places where, you know, 50 to 80% of what you donate to, you know, this organization or this cancer research or whatever goes to administrative fees and what's left over trickles down to help the patients or whatever. So believe me, that's what we hate. So Rock is led completely by volunteers. There's no salaries, no overhead going to anybody like that. It goes straight for rent of the building to buy equipment and to pay school fees. Uh With Tuna Panda, it's run by two brothers who like live and die at this place. Um, And there's almost no other overhead besides that. And Hashima, as I said, is an organization that's almost completely run by um, three or four staff. And it's a faith-based organization. So again, all volunteer or donations. I see. So people can find out about these three charities by going to your website and clicking on which link? Um, right on the homepage. It says donate. So as soon as you get on the landing page, you'll see what to do right there. All right. That is great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have been listening to Elizabeth Rossiello, the CEO and co-founder of BitPesa there in Kenya. And Elizabeth, before we let you go, um, what's your weather like there in Kenya today or this evening? Oh, sunny and hot. <laughs> <laughs> sunny and how hot? <laughs> uh, I'd say like a New York, a New York early September. Wow. (laughs) Nice. That sounds great. Pretty nice. Wow. Hey, that sounds great. Well, Elizabeth, listen, thank you so much for being on Bitcoins and Gravy and for taking time out of your busy day. And I'm excited about BitPes. I wanted to interview someone from your company for a long time, and I got lucky to be speaking with the CEO and co-founder. Oh, thanks so much, John. I really appreciate all your your love for BitPesa. I would love to have you back on the show at some point and to hear about the progress of BitPesa. And you said it's only a year old now. So, hey, you know, six months or a year from now, let's do an interview again and find out a little bit more about how BitPesa is doing. Definitely. And I'll report back to you on how many of your listeners donated. All right, listeners, you heard it. These guys need donations. These are some great causes. All right, Elizabeth, hey, thank you so much for being on the show. Okay, thanks so much, John. (laughs) Thanks, bye. I know that it may sound absurd, but I have for you a magic word. And today the magic word is media. M-E-D-I-A. 
A. As in the sentence, Bitcoins and Gravy is now hiring someone to do social media. That is Facebook and Twitter. Are you a Facebook and Twitter maniac? Are you a social media maniac? Then please contact me. Let me know your qualifications and we will talk about compensation. Media. M-E-D-I-A. As in social media. Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. There's plenty of room for all. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things are to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. A Bitcoin as you're going into the old blockchain. A Bitcoin. You're going to rain, gonna rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows Till everybody knows your name Down the road it will be told about The death of old Mount Gox About traders trading altar coins And miners mining blocks But them good old boys back in Illinois And on down through Tennessee See, they don't care to be a millionaire They're just wanting to be free Our Bitcoin as you're going into blockchain or bitcoin i know you're going to rain gonna rain till everybody knows everybody knows till everybody knows your name A promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny A Bitcoin as you're going into the old blockchain A Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, gonna rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your Give me some exposure Everybody knows your name, sing it Oh Lord, pass me some more Oh Lord, before I have to go. I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, Elizabeth Rossiello, the CEO and co-founder of BitPesa. Make sure to check out the show notes for this episode where Elizabeth has provided for us some information about how to contact these very worthwhile charities. And to contact BitPesa directly, email to info at bitpesa.co.
And now, an important question for all you small business owners and startups out there. Do you have a business that needs more exposure? Do you want to increase your customer base and increase your profits? Here's something to think about for your business. This podcast you're listening to right now, Bitcoins and Gravy, has over 10,000 weekly listeners and is heard each week in over 30 different countries around the world. The Bitcoin sphere is expanding exponentially, and Bitcoins and Gravy is expanding in pace with this relatively new technology. So as our listener base grows, so does the potential for your business to reach more and more customers here in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and around the globe. To find out how to advertise on Bitcoins and Gravy, just email me at the following address. Howdy at bitcoinsandgravy.com. That's howdy, H-O-W-D-Y, howdy at bitcoinsandgravy.com. I can produce for you a high-quality 30-second spot or a one-minute spot for your business right here at the Treehouse Studio in Nashville, Tennessee. The cost of these ads is very affordable, and because everyone knows I'm a nice guy, I am always willing to work with your budget. Creative advertising strategies and packages are available. Listen, advertising does work. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it, right? Do something nice for your business by pushing it forward and taking it to the next level. If you've enjoyed the show today, please take a minute to leave a comment on Let's Talk Bitcoin in the comments section right there below the show notes. You can also leave a message on SoundCloud or do the old-fashioned thing and send me an email. And of course, Bitcoin and Litecoin tips are always appreciated by the hardworking writers and podcasters in the Bitcoin world. Many of us work as volunteers and sure could use those tips. You can send me $5 or $0.05 cents and I will be just as happy knowing that this podcast put a smile on your face or made your day a little bit better. Signing off now from East Nashville, Tennessee, I'm your host, John Barrett, with my trusty companion, Maxwell, by my side. Say goodbye, Maxwell. Y'all be good to each other out there now, and remember, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing 